Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. You know, I am so excited about our next guest. Um, she is uh, has been a, a civil rights advocate for many, many years, has worked in government, uh, is now the, the president of the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies. Uh, again, joining us from the Washington, D.C. area, Madeline Milke is with us, uh, president and CEO of the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies. Madeline, good morning. Welcome to Singapore. Welcome to Weekend Mornings with us today. Thank you so much. Very honored to be here with you. Well, we're sorry to keep you waiting. As, as you could hear, we went a little bit over with Steve and Thurgood Marshall Jr. And uh, But let's get right to you because your organization really looks at promoting Asian uh, Pacific American participation and representation throughout government. Uh, and, and there are so many issues that are critical these days uh, to Asian Americans, not the least of which is the increased violence that's been happening uh, that we've seen in, in recent years. But tell us a little bit more about about where Asian Americans stand right now in the political sphere in American life. Absolutely. You know, thank you for having me on and having the ability to share some of the work that we're doing. So right now we actually have the most Asian American Pacific Islanders elected members to Congress um, in the history of the Congress, um, and that's 21, um, and that's both the U.S. House and Senate. So, you know, that to us is a record-breaking um, moment for awesome. the community. We have a caucus, um, which was established in 1994 by former Secretary Norman Y. Mineta when he was a member of Congress, um, and that's the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, KPAC, and um, that's the caucus that we basically service, you know, making sure that we have a pipeline to have more Asian Americans who are elected from the local level and help them move into the federal level. The current vice president is a former member of KPAC when she was a member of the U.S. Senate. Um, and so for us, we're very proud to have um, an Asian American as a part of the administration. And Madeline, your work has never been more pressing or urgent, you could argue. I'm just looking at some of the stats here. There was more than a 164% increase in anti-Asian hate crime reports to police in the first quarter of 2021 alone in 16 major cities and jurisdictions in the US. So there's an increase there. We've seen that more than almost 7,000 hate incidents reported in the year after the pandemic. Similar things in Australia and Europe. There does seem to be a rise in anti-Asian, uh, anti-Asian crimes of, of, of various uh, descriptions. Firstly, why is that? And second, how can your organization help with that? You know, it's an astronomical number when you think about um, the reports that have been coming in. And we also know that the Asian American community underreports. And so the number that you actually have is probably a lot less than what is actually happening. And so when you think about the past year, the combination of the rhetoric that was being used, um, the economic impact of the pandemic, uh, where our communities tend to um, live in, in somewhat low economic areas, that conflated itself into you know, the situation that we're in right now. And so um, we don't really see an end in some ways because of the fact that individuals, uh, mainly of East Asian descent, are being... Um, Profiled, attacked, um, and that's where you look at you know, our seniors, our most vulnerable members of our community. You look at our youth who are afraid to actually go back to school because of their uh, fear of being bullied. Um, and so there's just so many uh, different demographic pieces of 
the constituency that are being affected by this. And so when we think about how we as an organization can, you know, support our colleagues who you know, do the direct services, it's really about making sure that we are um, providing the resources so that people who might want to run for office in the future, who believe that they can provide, you know, community driven solutions can have the access to understand how to run for office. Cause I think a lot of people think of it as a mystery um, and what we like to say is that we're demystifying the process on how to run to make it more accessible for people. Mm. And so really, that's the key, isn't it? Is that a long-term solution for you? Greater representation at all political levels? Yes, because when you think about the growth of the Asian American community in Pacific Islander community itself, we're the fastest growing demographic in the United States. And so when you think about our population increasing Um, You see how uh, active we were in the last election, just our vote, um, our level of political influence. So when you think about the combination of our growth as a community, it really does mean that we need to be at the table when these decisions are being made. Um, And we have, you know, a diverse community within the Asian American Pacific Islander community. We're not a monolith. And so you're talking about constituencies within um, you know, within our ethnic groups that are uh, multi-generational, you know, you're thinking about maybe the Chinese Americans who were here in the late 1800s um, building the railroads or the Japanese Americans who've been here for multiple generations. Um, and so when you think about how you have new immigrants who are new Americans, especially Southeast Asians, um, so you think about that, you have a very um, wide swath of history and perspective. We're speaking with Madeline Milkey, the president and CEO of the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies. Uh, I've put the URL in our Facebook Live uh, chat if anybody wants to get onto your website and see what's going on. And and for you know most or many of the twenty five thousand Americans here in Singapore, they will have been familiar with uh, AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islanders. But perhaps uh, some of our Singaporean listeners might not necessarily know that phrase, and that is really the key. It's not. Uh, it, it is much broader than than what we might have traditionally thought of as just. Asian Americans. And the, the follow-on question I want to have on, on the violence, and I'm not sure if you can answer this, but do you, from what you've seen and, and the people you've talked with, are the incidents of, of anti-AAPI or AAPI hate uh, crimes, have they actually increased or are they just being reported more? Uh, I, I've wondered about this now for uh, the better part of a year. We certainly have seen more reported, but is that just because people are stepping out more or have the actual baseline numbers increased? Do you have any sense of, of that? You know, I think in regards to the reporting, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it, uh, there are under reports and under counts in the, in the sense of people not, you know, uh, choosing, choosing not to report. Right. But, I, but also when you think about, you know, where the Department of Justice they house, um, as a federal level, the hate crimes mm-hmm. reports. And so you'll see places where it's zero percent. And that seems to be a little unbelievable um, that there are zero hate crimes to Asian Americans, you know, in the non-pandemic year. Um, So I think it's a little bit of both of what you're talking about. Um, People who just underreport or people, so that comes down to zero. And then the increase. And I think also, too, you're seeing more documentation of that, whether it's a bystander who is documenting the situation that's happening or 
closed circuit tape, you know, on a building. Mm. So I think um, a lot of this is in combination to what you've already mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And adding to Glenn's point, a slightly chicken and egg situation, there were more stories, as you mentioned, of attacks against Asians, not only in the United States, but in countries like Australia. Uh, the UK, parts of Europe, and the connection was made in the media uh, to the pandemic. And obviously its origins coming from China and talk of rhetoric about China flu and so on. Can you attribute it to the pandemic or are there other underlying issues here, Madeline, for the increase in these anti-hate crimes and incidents? So I think it is in combination. So the the rhetoric just sort of exacerbated, um, I believe, an underlying situation that most people have with the Asian American community uh, being seen as a perpetual foreigner, especially in the United States, where um, that is something that we try to combat um, because I don't know how often, I mean, I actually was born in Vietnam. My mother is Vietnamese, my father is German American, and I'm a naturalized citizen due to yeah. their citizenship. Yeah. But the question that will come to me often and to my colleagues will be, where are you from? Mm. Oh, I'm from Washington, D.C. No, where are you really from? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I guess, the you know, if you would never know from looking at my first and last name that I am of Asian descent. Mm. And so I think the, the situation that we combat uh, oftentimes is that we have to prove that we're American. And the uh, rhetoric on top of that um, just makes it worse um, and so when you think about the Asian American story um, in the United States, um, there has been public policy that have definitely discriminated against Asians. And so 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act, you have um, the Japanese incarceration of World War II. So there's uh, a lot of um, race baiting that happens in the United States when it comes to the Asian American community. So um, I think in... In that sense, it, uh, you're already in a negative situation with the pandemic um, and putting the burden of responsibility to a constituency um, from the pandemic was completely unfair and um, mm. only exacerbated. Mm. Madeline, you raise blame. a fascinating point there about the a- Asian-American experience. I'm just thinking now. Obviously, the the, the focus in recent years and decades has been on the African-American experience, and rightly so. Also, the Native American experience, and rightly so. Do you think, therefore, that maybe the Asian-American experiences were slightly overlooked in previous years and decades? I think people are just unaware. I mean, we're not in a lot of history books. Maybe there's a one or two line sentence talking about Japanese Americans being incarcerated during World War II. I don't think anyone really understood really the 1882 Exclusion Act. Um, so, you know, cause that's just, that just seems so far and long ago. Yeah. But when you think about even more recent events of 9-11, you know, Sikh Americans being confused or Muslim Americans, uh, you know, there's just been a lot of um, issues that have been, you know, indirectly, uh, situated with um, economic impact. So when you think about um, uh, the Japanese Americans um, who were uh, being, or Chinese Americans who were being targeted thinking that they were Japanese Americans mm-hmm. during the auto crisis, you know, so like Vincent Chin um, in Detroit. And so those sort of things aren't necessarily um, issues that most people think about. Um, they might think they're isolated incidences, um, but then again, it goes back to 
um, placing blame on a constituency um, in the same way that people said that this was uh, related to China. Madeline, do does this uh, is this challenge that that you are taking on with the Asia Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies is it made more difficult because of the the, the great variation in uh, in the uh, Asian American community and the Pacific Islanders community uh, from so many different countries uh, uh, you know yourself uh, Vietnam is your is your uh, land of origin if you will but but you know we've got the Philippines we've got East Vietnam, Asia South East Asia, Asia yeah, yeah all it's a over huge block yeah including and of course the islands uh, Pacific Islands as yeah. well it's it's not a homogenous group uh, and yet in some ways your task is to almost bring them together as a homogenous group for the purpose of uh, being elected and taking part in the civil discourse. Is that hard to, to do that? You know, we are a big family um, and big families often have internal conversations about how to fix things. Yeah. And so I think this is a part of that. You know, we, we have a big tent and we want to be able to have people feel like they're seen then that they're valued, especially our underrepresented communities, such as, you know, the Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, Southeast Asians. Um, you know, those are definitely places that we don't see a lot of representation. And that's something that we advocate for, you know, in, in this administration, yeah. making sure that there is uh, you know, representation um, in the staffing, you know, in the senior level positions. And so I think we all make our best effort to be sure that those underrepresented communities feel that they are not tokenized and that they have uh, input on issues that directly affect them um, and that they aren't, um, that they have a voice and that they have their own voice and and no one needs to speak for them. And we just want to provide the platform so that they can do that for themselves. Madeline, thank you so much for this conversation today and and really helping us all understand a bit more what's happening in the U.S. landscape, political landscape and otherwise. And uh, as president and CEO of the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies, we wish you well and and hope that you'll come back on again and and talk to us in the future as as more developments occur in the U.S., whether it's more uh, AAPI folks being elected to office or new legislation. We'd love to hear more about that. Thanks so much for the opportunity. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.